Good morning. Well, I bring greetings to you from the 113 covenant members of Restoration Church. Your daughter uh, is thriving. She's doing really well by God's grace. Uh, in spite of my many weaknesses, uh, she is growing. My, these lights are bright. Uh, wow, it's bouncing off my head probably, isn't it? Uh, I just want to say briefly how thankful I am for this church. Um, it's been such a treat to be here. Thank you for the invitation to come and to preach. It is such a privilege. So I just want to say thank you, too, on behalf of Joey and Paige Craft, who were not able to be here this morning. They hopefully are weathering the snow and the ice to get to church up there in D.C. today. Uh, but we're just so thankful for the ways that you've invested in us. Thank you for the ways that you've prayed for us. Uh, we're so glad the church is doing quite well. And uh, there is a light, a sort of little kindling that grabbed off the fire here and now is up lighting on its own in northwest Washington, D.C. Uh, so we're so thankful. Um, I want to pray for us and I want to give you a gift by opening up God's word and exhorting us to uh, engage in the continued mission of God. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have given us a word. Thank you that you've given us your son. Thank you that there is hope. Oh God, we pray that today you would inflame us with a passion for your name, that we would be bold to declare the glories, the riches of Christ. Do this, God, we pray, for your name's sake. And we prayed in that name. Amen. Well, here's what I want to do for us this morning. I want to exhort... You, I want to exhort us to be tenacious with that all-important task of missions and evangelism. And I want to do that by exposing you to something in the arsenal of God's economy that I am fairly confident that most everybody in this room is not presently utilizing, and maybe never have. I want to walk you into the sort of powder magazine for God's army, and I want to direct your eyes up to a weapon that you have overlooked, a weapon so strong and so powerful that the Apostle Paul trusted in it virtually every single time he walked into uh, a city for the sake of Christ, for this walking into a hostile, difficult city. He trusted, he used this weapon. Think of it sort of like the body armor that Paul would use to give him confidence to face the fray that was to come. Now, the reason why this weapon is so underutilized by us is because we have lost sight of its warmth, I think, lost sight of its potency. We forgot about it, maybe out of a love for this world. Sort of like that picture that hung on the wall of your mother's kitchen that once it was gone, you noticed it was actually quite warm and you missed it. And so my intention this morning is to take that picture off the wall that you've grown and to sort of neglect and Bring it and sit it in front of you that you would be encouraged, that you would be emboldened, to be tenacious like Paul, to have that sort of body armor to have you to walk to your neighbor, that you would declare the glories of Christ. And so what I want to share with you this morning, what I want to impart to you this morning that you might go and to be bold and faithful in evangelism is by introducing you to this body armor that will have you to be confident. And that body armor of sorts, is hope, but not just any kind of hope, the hope 
of heaven. The hope of heaven. I want to encourage us to be bold in evangelism by utilizing the hope of heaven. I wonder if you've ever stopped to consider those now famous words from Paul when he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now why would he say it's gain? Why, is, why would he say to die is gain? Well, he goes on a couple sentences later and he answers that in Philippians 1.23 when he says, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better. So the fear of rejection, the fear of persecution, even death never left Paul. But they did not control him because he had a greater confidence. He had a greater hope, a hope in heaven, being with Christ. So the hope in heaven put the fear of death and discouragement in its place for Paul, which then gave him the confidence to move into the world as a mighty force for the love of God. I don't have enough time to expose you to the prevalence of this weapon that the church had, those apostles had in planting churches. So what I'm going to do this morning is sort of like Joshua and Caleb. I'm going to kind of come back. I'm going to bring a couple uh, grapes from Canaan. And I want to show you just one or two of those so that you too will then go back into the scriptures and see how much they're used that you too might be emboldened to be faithful, to be emboldened to give confidence in declaring the glories of Christ in the gospel. So I'm just going to do that just a little bit. And what we're going to see here this morning is we're going to see how Demas deviated from the mission. Demas deviated from the mission of God through his love of the world. And then what we'll do secondly is that main point. We'll come to our main point in seeing how Paul's hope in heaven birthed confidence and courage to advance the gospel to the ends of the world. We're going to do that from 2 Timothy 4. So let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles there to 2 Timothy 4 where the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell for having declared the gospel. This is one of Paul's final letters before he would die. You can see there in 2 Timothy 4, 6 that he knows his death is imminent. But he doesn't know exactly when he will die, so he is asking for some company. And that's going to bring us then to 2 Timothy 4, chapter 4, verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. First thing that I want us to take a look about and think about it, that love for this present world distracts and destroys mission. Love for this present world distracts and destroys mission. Now, we read that line there in verse 10 about Demas with great perplexion and a bit of sadness, don't we? Because Demas is no stranger to missions. 
We know from Colossians 4.14 and Philippians 1.24 that he was a traveling companion of Paul's. Paul, you may even recall, he was quite picky in who he chose to go with him on his mission endeavors. We recall of that instance between Paul and Barnabas when they broke up over the disagreement about Mark, who we see there in this text in verse 11 that Paul actually wants him to come back because he is useful to him. But Paul was a bit picky in who he would have to travel with him. And Demas has been with Paul. And so this should tell us something about Demas. He was probably no slouch, Demas was, on the mission field. He was probably useful in missions. And yet, what do we learn of Demas there in verse 10? Paul just has Luke with him because Demas has left him. And we find the reason why is because a love for this, note the emphasis, love for the, a love for this present world, Demas has left him. Because of a love for this present world. Demas got distracted by the love of this present world. A love for the comforts of the here and now got him off the mission. His affection for today jeopardized his hope for tomorrow. Demas' love for this world derailed him for the hope of a better world. And I wonder why. I wonder why. Why did he leave? Well, we don't really know. The text does not tell us. Maybe he was tired of traveling. Tired of moving every couple years. Maybe he was tired of moving every couple months, every couple days. Maybe he wanted to establish a home in Thessalonica, get a wife and some kids. Maybe have a yard, a nice backyard. Maybe get a Costco membership. Some season tickets to the gladiator ring down the street. Maybe a four-door chariot. Who knows what it was for Demas. Maybe he was tired of the constant threats to his life. We're going to see in a moment that Paul was rescued, as it says, from the lion's mouth, from a lion's mouth. Now, we don't know if that was literal or figurative, but nevertheless, whatever it was, it was bad, right? Demas was used to bad because he had to be on the field. Paul's life was in constant threat of being taken. And so you didn't have to convince Demas that the gospel was a rock of offense. He knew it. He lived it. And maybe he was tired of it. And so he wanted to get back to a place that wouldn't ask much of him. And isn't that the struggle for us as well? Doesn't this explain most of our feeble efforts to herald the gospel to a lost and dying world? We love this present world. We have so little love for the heavenly world to come because we love this present world. The same world that Paul calls in Ephesians this present darkness. How many of us, I wonder, have followed Demas to Thessalonica? Rationalizing maybe our lack of mission today by remembering some time of usefulness in the past. Do we not remember the words of the Apostle John that told us that if anyone loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him? See, if all of us were being on of us, most of us would agree, right, that we, we like this world. I know for me, I, I, I like to be, I like that I'm married to my wife. I don't, I'm not really crazy about the thought of, being, of not being married to her in heaven. I like American history. I like the University of Tennessee volunteer football. I love St. Louis Cardinals baseball. I love all of these things. I like hanging out with guys in my same little theological camp. And just talking about our little theological convictions. I enjoy those things. And all of those things in and of themselves are fine. They're gifts in many ways from God. But to the degree that they compete for my deepest affections and they get me off mission, now we're in danger. 
Brothers, sisters, we have to keep a vigilant eye upon our hearts. We have to be careful to notice when our hearts long to drink in the delight of some vacation, some material possession, some experience, more than they long to be on that forever vacation, which is the new heavens and new earth. It could be that those competing affections are diminishing your courage for fruitful gospel ministry today. Don't abandon the mission, Christian. Don't abandon the mission. Don't leave Paul and Luke alone in chains. Don't leave your brothers and sisters alone to do the work. Don't think that you send off David and April and they're sort of going off to do the work. Don't leave them alone. Don't leave the ones that are here alone to do the work. Don't leave the pathway of peace in order to take up a sort of highway to hell. Don't you know that there is a better home? Don't you know that there's a better home than the love of this world? Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I was going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, Christian, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be, Jesus said. Christian, isn't that where you want to be? Don't you want to be with him? Seeing him face to face, enjoying his presence? You believe Jesus is the Lord and the captain of love. Don't you want to be with him? Don't you want others to be with him? Oh, Christian, do not follow Demas to Thessalonica. The love of the present world is a lie. It makes promises to you that it cannot keep. It cannot give you life. It will only eventually give you death. So if you're here even this morning and you're not a Christian and you're considering the Christian faith, let me say, first of all, I'm so glad that you're here. Let me just say to you also, this is a good church. They will care for you. They will teach you the truth. They will answer your questions. Keep coming back. If you don't like the preaching, it only gets better, all right? But if you're thinking about the Christian faith, I want you to know that Christ came to give you a better love. All of those hungers that you have won't be answered here. They'll be answered in the person, the work, and the new heavens and the new work, new heavens and new earth of Christ. So talk to the neighbor maybe that brought you. Maybe the friend that you're sitting next to. Talk to me even. But I want you to know, and I want all of us to know, that love for this present world destroys and distracts from mission. Or to say it maybe an opposite way, the hope and love for heaven births confidence and courage in mission. That's what we see next. The hope and love for heaven births confidence and courage in mission. Slide down to verse 16 there in 2 Timothy 4. You'll notice as you go down there, we read about this guy by the name of Alexander there in verse 14 that did great harm to Paul, no doubt contributing to Demas' decision to leave. In verse 16, Paul shares the story of a particular defense that led to no one standing by him. Friends, if you don't know already, living on mission for God is sometimes a lonely place to be. I'll never forget moving to Washington, D.C., being part of such a wonderful community, parachuting in there not knowing a soul and remembering how difficult it was because I didn't know anybody. It can be lonely. 
That's why we need confidence. That's why we need courage. That's why we need strength. And that's what the Lord gives Paul there in verse 17. You see that there. Verse 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And isn't that what Jesus promised us in the Great Commission? I will not leave you or forsake you. So why? Why does Jesus strengthen us, promise to be with us? Why does Jesus promise to be with us? Why was the Lord strengthening Paul? Look at verse 17, the second half there. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed. There it is. The Lord is strengthening Paul. He strengthens us so that the message might be fully proclaimed. I said that Demas deviated from the mission because of his love for this present world. And yet we see here Paul is on mission. And what is that mission? That mission is to proclaim the message. What's the message? The message is the gospel. What's the gospel? That God in his infinite kindness sent his son who is fully God and fully man who left heaven and came to earth in order that earth might come to heaven, who lived a sinless life and died the death of sinners to pay the penalty of death of our sin against God, who was placed in a tomb and three days later, we know that that payment was received because that tomb is empty. Christ rose from the dead so that those who turn from their sin, hope in Christ, put their faith in Christ, they too can come to know the, the home that they were made to live in, that they can come to know heaven and be there forever. Live forever because death was never the way that it was supposed to be. Christ conquered that in the gospel. And this is what Paul is going around the world telling people, this message to be fully proclaimed. That's what he is on mission for. Paul says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me, listen to it, safely into his heavenly kingdom. Safely into heaven. Safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what's the difference between Paul and Demas? Why is Paul able to endure such suffering while Demas does it? Paul was strengthened by the Lord. That's critical to understand. We see that. But that describes what the Lord's doing. What's Paul doing? Where is Paul looking to overcome his love for the present world and endure such suffering so that the gospel would be fully proclaimed? What is he thinking about to give him courage to keep going and to herald the gospel? Verse 18, Paul believed the Lord would rescue him from every evil deed. He's looking future and bring him safely into the kingdom of heaven. Brothers, sisters, Paul was able to be tenacious for the gospel ministry because of his future hope. That's the thing that kept him going. The hope of Christ answering every evil deed in his return where he will finally throw God's enemies into the lake of fire forever and ever. Justice will be served. That's what he means by every evil deed will be delivered. Also where Paul will be safely brought into the shores of the Jordan River where he will look and come into Canaan. where he will walk into the kingdom of heaven and suffer no more, where he will finally be with Christ and see him face to face. And of course, upon such a thought, isn't it only natural to break out into praise? To him be the glory forever and ever and ever, and it will be in heaven. Amen. As he thinks about this. And so isn't this a fascinating study? Paul is convinced in verse 6 he's going to die for the gospel. 
And yet he also believes he's going to be rescued (laughs) and brought safely home to heaven. I can only imagine Luke sitting there going, what do you mean you're going to be rescued from every evil deed? Dude, we're sitting in a prison. He's like, I got my hope on a better day. That's what's keeping me going. This is a fascinating stall. Paul had a greater love for heaven than he did this present world. That promise drove him to be courageous for the sake of fully proclaiming the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is the difference between Paul and Demas. Demas wanted to be safe now. Paul wanted to be safe later. Demas wanted to make this heaven. Paul wanted to be where Christ would make heaven. He trusted that a better day, Paul did, was coming. And that was the body armor that gave him confidence to step into the arena of this world and proclaim the gospel. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 15. Flip back there. Go left in your Bibles. If you don't know where that is, go left. A few pages. 1 Corinthians 15. Look down at verse 58. We're going to see this same idea. Paul has just described there in 1 Corinthians 15 how the return of Christ will have our bodies to be resurrected when Christ returns. Our bodies will be resurrected. We will then take on flesh. Our spirits will be united with our bodies again. And we will then begin to enter the heavenly kingdom. And listen how Paul comes out of this meditation. He comes out of this heavenly kingdom when we will then take on flesh and be in the new heavens, new earth. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Listen how he comes out. Having just considered that, all right, we're coming into heaven. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He says, therefore, in light of the fact that heaven's breaking in, therefore, my beloved, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let me read that again. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you see what Paul did? Just like what we saw in 2 Timothy in a hundred places in the New Testament. The hope of what is to come, the hope of heaven gives him supreme confidence to hold the line. And not just hold the line, but hoping in heaven fuels the abundance of work. In other words, Paul, what Paul is saying is, what do we have to lose? What are you going to do, kill us? <laughs> Be with Christ. Maybe they won't kill us. Maybe they'll mock us. Maybe they'll make fun of us. Maybe we'll lose our jobs. So what? Your labor is not in vain, Paul says. Wasn't it Jesus who said, blessed are you for being persecuted for my name's sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven? You see what this does for us, Northway? Do you see? Since death has been defeated in the resurrection, since we have a better city, a heavenly city, that is promised to us, what do we have to lose? We can step onto the battlefields of this world and love our neighbor without being held back by our greatest fears. We can advance towards our neighbor knowing that no matter what may come, we are one step closer to home. We will enter the heavenly rest forever and ever. So with this kind of confidence, we can love so generously, we can love so radically, so courageously that those who receive that love will know, and they will know when we love them like that, they will know where our citizenship is. They will smell our clothes and they will see the glimmer in our eyes and they will ask us, where have you been And we will, with full hearts and full of the love of God, we will say with a smile, I've seen heaven. I've seen love. I've seen just a flicker of what the world will be like one day. I saw love on a bloody cross. 
and I saw heaven in an empty tomb where death was defeated. And maybe some will respond when we say that to them and they say to us, well, how can I know that place? How, how can I see that? And with full hearts, emboldened, we will open our mouths and declare to them the glories of God in Christ Jesus. That they might know heaven as well. And they can have hope here today in the most difficult of days and the brightest of days. And so, brothers, sisters, let's dig in. Let's preach. Let's pray. Let's read heaven so that our hearts will long to get home and see the kingdom and see the king that we will enjoy forever and ever. Because the more that we do that, the more that our spines will be filled with steel and our faces will be like flint. Don't believe that garbage that says that you can be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. That is a lie. Because if that's true, Paul didn't accomplish much. <laughs> that was the refrain, brothers and sisters, of the early church, this hope in heaven. That was the refrain. And somewhere along the way, we've lost it. We lost it because we've become more like Demas than we are like Paul. We are far too prone to love this present world, the one that was to come the, instead of the one that is to come. And in the process, we have lost our confidence. We have lost our courage for missions and evangelism. But brothers and sisters, from the beginning, it was not so. It was not like this. Abraham was able to hold a knife over his son because he believed that his son would raise. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to follow Demas into Thessalonica and enjoy the fleeting pleasures of this world. He considered the reproaches of what? Of Christ, of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Because he was looking to a reward. Moses was able to be faithful. What gave Stephen the courage to take stone after stone to his death? Was it not his gaze into the throne room of heaven? Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God as stone after stone came to his face and killed him. And then Paul, again to the church at Philippi, he tells them that the enemies of the cross have an end of destruction because their mind is set on earthly things. He says, but our citizenship is where? Is in heaven. And from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. He goes on in Colossians 3, motivating them to live a holy life before others. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Think about Peter's words to those brothers and sisters who suffered in the persecution. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as exiles. See, we're sojourners. We're exiles. We're going home to heaven to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. When? On the day of visitation, when heaven comes in. Do you see this is the refrain of the early church? And why would God even give us the book of Revelation? But to give us hope. To give us boldness. And of course, how could we forget Christ? His motivation was the glory of God. And what got him through it? What made him to endure the trial of Gethsemane? Well, Hebrews tells us, for the joy of Set before him, he endured the cross. North Wake Church, the Bible is replete with calls to hope in heaven so that you can faithfully engage in the mission of God today. 
We simply don't take the time to see them out here because so many of us are tempted to follow Demas into Thessalonica and leave Paul alone on the mission. We, North Wake, are sojourners. We are exiled. Do not build up treasures for yourself on earth where rust and moth destroy. Build up treasures in heaven for where your heart is, for where, for, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The more you do that, I fully believe, the more you will have courage to lean into the mission of God and fully proclaim the gospel to all nations. Christ is coming. He is sooner now than when we first began this service. He's sooner now to coming than when I first began this sentence. He's coming. He is bringing with him justice that will roll. He is bringing with him a world restored where the air will be sweeter than honey and the sky will never know a shade of gray. That day is coming and it is real as the person sitting right next to you. Trust Christ that he will do it. Ask that God would have you to hope in heaven. Pray for it. And then, beloved, then be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of the Lord, fully proclaiming the gospel to the nations and know that your labor is not in vain. And someday we will cross the Jordan and be in to Canaan forever and ever and ever and ever. Hope on that, think on that, read about that, speak on that and see that your hearts and your minds will be prepared to labor in the fields. And no matter what they may say to you and no matter what they may do to you, it will not matter. Because to, to depart is to be with Christ. And the day is coming when we will be with him forever. And friend, if you're here this morning and you do not know Christ, I want to invite you into this gospel. To know this Jesus. Who will prepare a place for you. Turn away from your sin. Trust him. And hope in a better world. Whatever that thing is that you're dealing with, know there are answers for it in the heavenly kingdom. We'd love to talk to you about it. But North Wake, let's lean into this mission. Let's be hoping in heaven that we would be 